Hi, my name is Ronit, and with my partner in crime, podcast crime, Gaurav, <laughs> we're delighted to host this session. Um, Sam, welcome. Or should we call you Samuel? I don't know. Sam sounds very Sam nervous. is fine. Sam is what fine. Is, what is it, more. Sam? No, Sam is good. Sam is good. It's uh, more international. It works for me. Uh, Sam, you, like Gaurav and myself, um, are zooming in from somewhere in Dubai, correct? That's right. Yeah, I'm uh, downtown, downtown Dubai. Downtown Dubai, living the dream, living the dream in the shadow of the Burj. Pretty much, yeah. That's right. A well, welcome shadow in this uh, <laughs> in this heat. Sam, for folks who don't know you, tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, how does a Frenchman end up in Dubai, living in the shadow of the Burj? <laughs> it hasn't been a straight line. Um, yeah, so I run a company now called Landvault, which is a uh, metaverse infrastructure company. We uh, we build virtual worlds for big brands and governments, as well as as technology to to power that. Um, the way I got into that was through gaming. I had a, a gaming company for the last four years, which then pivoted into that metaverse company, uh, which I founded in London. Um, uh, raised quite a lot of money over the years, set up a team, and more recently uh, uh, came to Dubai. And the reason why I was in the UK is because when I was a teenager, I wanted to work in Formula One, which was my, my big passion. And I decided to, um, after my bachelor, I decided to do a, a year to specialize myself in uh, motorsport engineering. And the best schools for that were in the UK. This is how I got into the UK. And then a few years after, um, I did got hired by Mercedes Formula One, spent a few years there before I started my, uh, my entrepreneurship journey. So it's, um, I guess you could say that because of Formula One, I'm, I'm here in the shadow of the Burj, although it hasn't been a, a straight line. How do you go from, let's dig into this a bit more, how do you go from Formula One to the metaverse? I know, I know. I wish, I wish there was a story. I'm still trying to find the a cool link for my future, uh, you know, biography, but the truth is there isn't really a I mean, Netflix was... special. Yeah, exactly. Um, there'll be a missing, missing episode, I guess, between <laughs> the two. Um, there's no clear link. I mean, uh, you know, when I was a teenager and I, I studied physics, I like to understand how things worked. Um, but I felt that just physics was very to apply that to a more practical field and uh, being passionate about Formula One felt like it would be a you know fun place to to work, um, which is interesting also because it's very fast paced, a bit like startups. You know, you you build something and on the mm. weekend you see it on track. It's it, it's very close uh, feedback loops, and so that was really interesting. But I always had this urge to to do my own thing, and um, you know it just wasn't possible in the, uh, working for a Formula One team. And I at some point had the the urge to do something. I didn't really know what, I didn't really have any B2B expertise. So I thought I'm just going to get into the, just going to build games, which kind of sounded simple, or at least uh, something where you don't need huge expertise in, you know, SaaS or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that was kind of my entry point. And then I uh, spent about six months learning that, uh, built a couple of games, and then very quickly decided to pivot from the content um, to into more of a technology play. And what kind of games were you guys building? So that's another funny thing. We were we were building what today you would call hyper casual, which are you know 
games that are played on mobile, very short session times, generally yeah. very simple graphics. You play with like one finger, you know, you slide something or you cut it or whatever. But the reason why we, we settled on that is because we didn't have resources. I mean, I was funding the whole thing and we didn't have designers to do like complex 3D assets. So we thought, let's just do simple graphics. Um, mm. And now it's called hyper casual. You know, it's the most downloaded type of uh, games out there, a billions of downloads a year. At the time, this was just, uh, I guess, uh, you know, by by design, by limits, by limitation of resources, we settled for very simple, simple mechanics. Gaming, then you went to the metaverse. Let's set the, let's sort of level set uh, the conversation. In your words, Sam, how do you define the metaverse? We define the metaverse as a 3D internet. Um, that's kind of like our, our general definition, right? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place where you'll be able to do things like you do on the internet, like social networking, shopping, visiting places. Um, but the new interface is not going to be text and pictures. It's going to be a 3D environment. So we quite like that, that, that analogy with 3D internet. Um, another way to look at it is to look at it as a, a gaming technology is going mainstream. You know, gaming technologies were obviously initially used to build games. We're talking about real-time 3D tech like Unity, Unreal. But actually, you could use that to power a 3D internet, where gaming would be one application. But you could also do movies. You could also do virtual shops and, um, you know, other types of experiences. So this is kind of a two, two definition. But uh, I think the, the one that resonates the most is a 3D version of the internet. And when you think about the, um, the metaverse, what do you think are the sort of the big use cases going to be? I mean, I think, you know, coming down from our definition that the metaverse is a 3D internet, there will be various use cases. Um, I think last year, the whole world got a bit, you know, got excited a bit too quickly thinking that everyone would go in the metaverse and there would be use cases for everyone in the next couple of months. And this is why you had, you know, uh, FMCG brands trying to sell um, processed food through the metaverse, which may not be the right thing to do. So I think the, the first use cases that we see, at least in the region here, um, it's obviously marketing to be a bit more precise. We, we, we see a lot of, um, I guess, digital tourism is how I would qualify it. So mm -hmm. destinations, governments themselves, uh, real estate, you know, that wanna kind of showcase their real property, but in, a, in the digital world for the whole world to see. And uh, this is something that can apply to a building, an experience, but also a whole country. You know, Dubai and the UAE specifically are always trying to promote what their, you know, the, the Burj and all these uh, crazy landmarks and, and buildings and amazing things that they have going on. And um, even though a lot of people live here, it's still a tiny fraction of the world. So what is the best way to showcase that to the, you know, 7 billion people who have never been here? And mm -hmm. so our view is that the metaverse is going to be the next best thing to reality. The best thing is to come here or to talk face to face or to go to a real concert. Yeah. But if you can't do that, the second best thing should be the metaverse. Right now, the second best thing is videos, yeah. but the metaverse will be a layer between video and reality. That's how we see it. So it's Habibi come to Dubai, but come to Dubai by the metaverse. I get it. Yeah. 
Excellent. Exactly. If you can't go here, uh, you can you can roll in from uh, from a virtual uh, experience. Come to the Dubai bus. Some would argue Dubai is already a metaverse. It's unreal. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been built quickly, and there's a lot of empty land around yeah. it. So there's uh, the analogy does does work. It does, doesn't it? In uh, in a way, we're living the future, the capital of the future. Huh? Gaurav, mm -hmm. come on, jump in. Bill me out with some sensible questions about business building and stuff like that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll Sam's a founder, so we need some sensible questions about his journey as a founder. I'll try my best, brother. I'll try my best. Thanks a lot, Ronan. Sam, good to see you. Good to see you again. And, you know, obviously, in the short time that I last saw you till now, you've settled into Dubai and the Dubai life. How are things going from your point of view in the customer engagement for Landvold. Uh, you're here, you're, you're, I believe you've moved here full-time, you're looking to move the team here because yes. there's opportunity here or there's the potential yep. opportunity. Have you captured any opportunity that you can tell us about? Yeah, we have. Um, so it's, it's been a really interesting journey. You know, we, we had started to work already with a UAE government just before I arrived here. This was our first uh, first project. And um, and we've been able through that with those credentials to attract uh, a lot of other interest. I think we have six or seven things going on right now at different stages. A lot of them being quite quite early stage. So you know it's um, it, it takes time for those for those deals to happen. But I think what's what has been proven is that the um, the level of interest, at least of excitement, of proposals, of concepts people actually wanting to do something in the metaverse this is where it's happening and i would extend this to gcc region generally you know it's quite a lot in saudi a little bit in qatar bahrain and so on so that was definitely i think the right right bet um because we're seeing that in other markets we were to, we were working with lots of brands from the you know mastercard to standard charter the heineken l'oreal all of those they all experimented in the metaverse they all did something um, but you know, this is for a lot of them. This was not a, a long-term project, and now that there's just less hype, less coverage for metaverse. Um, going back to the basics of driving ROI, there's just less excitement generally um, about that in the in the rest of the world. So coming here was trying to capture as much excitement as possible, and so far it's been uh, really positive. From a product and services point of view. Is Landvault any different to companies that are building these 3D spaces? Are you doing something that is unique or separate to what everyone else does? Or is it for, you know, for lack of an unfortunate pun intended, is it just a land grab right now for people to, to rush into the space and be the first builders? You know, if someone built Amazon, but they didn't build the internet, right? And mm -hmm. you see that they built forward. Um, so are you in the same space or are you building something that sets you very far apart from people that are also building uh, 3D mapping of the internet in, in your space? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So there are two sides to our business. One is the content side where, as I mentioned, we, we build those experiences and virtual worlds for brands, for governments. And this, you know, yes, we have skills. We have 120 builders, architect, designers. We, we pretty well equipped to sell to big brands, um, which, you know, you can be a very talented designer, but you don't necessarily know how to construct a deal with a, with a large brand and 
know how to follow up and, and you know, have proper account management. So we're, we're very well set up there, but that's not the real differentiator, as you said, uh, you know, other studios could do that. Um, we have good credentials, but the, you know, the barrier to entry of building something is not very high. The other side of the business is the tech that we're building. And, you know, that's what we are raising money for. That's, that's what creates the defensibility of our, of our company. And this technology is basically what we use to then deploy our client projects on. So we have three categories. The first one is around creation. So we are starting to work with generative AI to, to accelerate the building process. And uh, the idea is to get to a point where a project that would take a month to build would only take a day. We're not there yet, but that's the plan um, to reduce the cost and therefore reduce the barriers to entry to build, make it much simpler to build, create this WordPress moments, as I call it, where everyone can build a metaverse experience as easily as it is to build a website. So that's the first product. Um, we also building a protocol to deploy that content on the web. We think that metaverse platforms that require downloading an app, buying land, buying cryptocurrency, not working on mobile. This is just too many barriers to entry uh, for people. So we're, we're basically making the metaverse accessible through a link. So you get a link, you open it on your phone, on 4G, whatever, you can navigate that 3D environment. Uh, you don't need to download anything. So that's also unique technology that we have. And then the last piece is generating revenue from this environments, whether you want to advertise in your space, but have a toolkit that enables you to do all of that. So every time we have a project with a big brand or a government, we use our technology in that project. So the project side is really a way to take this tech to market. And the tech is what's unique and, and defensible. So when you're talking about building these tools and tool sets, you're consuming them yourself for the moment and you're delivering them, you know, in applications for your customers. Are you going to make them available to others? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the idea. That's the next step um, to basically just become a, you know, completely productized offering. Uh, I think there's still going to be space for a, a studio like Landvolt for the really big projects. But, um, you know, as we start to decrease the prices because of technology like generative AI, uh, suddenly you'll have, you know, individuals or small, small and medium businesses who will be able to just use the platform as a SaaS and create content, deploy it, monetize it themselves without the, um, the you know, the, the studio side of things. So. That's the plan basically for the, for the mid to long term. Um, at the moment, we're still very focused on, on building and basically um, making sure that everything, everything works properly, deploying that technology with big clients. Eventually, this will be more decentralized and um, everyone will have access to the tools. The, the interesting thing is that you mentioned you have 120 builders. Are those full-time employees? We have a, it's a network of builders that are um, basically contracted to land vault, but we're able to deploy them on specific projects. So yes, they are, they are full-time, um, but it's also a smart way to, um, you know, be able to scale up and down based on the demand that we have at a given time. Because I imagine, you know, one thing that we keep coming back to in this space is one is that first of all, and two parts of the category is, the vintage of experience in the metaverse of Web3 is only seven years or eight years maximum, which is not really a vintage of anything at all. 
on anything, on any timeline, in any history. Eight years is very short. And so the number of developers and talent that you have to navigate through a space very effectively for something as sensitive as a brand or technology where consumers and businesses are so finicky and fussy, it's quite a daunting task. Do you not find that much of a challenge? I mean, you, you, you're going to scale at some point. Do you find that the challenge was talent very easily available for the components that are guaranteed a successful land vault to keep evolving? Um, no, the talent, it's, it's not that easy to find. And I think that's one of the differentiator on the studio side is that we have this network that we keep you know, busy and utilized by sending in projects to build. And we know that those people are gonna deliver uh, because we work with them in the past. So they are very much, you know, our own own builders and that having, you know, that kind of expertise, building this amazing virtual world available on mobile, really easy to load. You know, this is not this is not easy to build. So definitely at this point, because it's it's still very early on, the skills and the expertise is uh, is part of the differentiator for sure. And when you're building products and services with revenue streams uh, have you got multiple internal recurring revenue streams within productizing your virtual worlds are you taking transaction payments through there are yeah. you issuing wallets are you selling advertising space are you doing like you do in the real world i can have a right. virtual billboard how much of what you do is i'll build everything for free but i will capture revenue through yeah. sale proposition is it per client basis or is there a standardized model approach to this? Because there's no template for it. You're there's no template. Creating the yep. template along with your peers and competitors in the market. What is yeah, the, absolutely. the approach today? No, that's a, that's a great question. And to be honest, if you look at what happened on the internet, you know, the cost of building has basically gone down to zero. Building a website, it's not that defensible. You can assemble it yourself using WordPress or uh, Wix or whatever, and you make money on the back end. So the goal, and I think generative AI in, with the metaverse is going to be a catalyst to accelerate that transition and make building cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and eventually not that defensible, which is why we're investing in it, almost disrupting ourselves because we know that you know 120 builders or 1000 builders it's not it's not a defensible way to to protect ourselves so the, the defensibility is definitely the the tech and so the goal long term is to give people tools to be able to build and make money with the tools that we give them to monetize for example if you want to do to sell uh, products within the, the metaverse experience, we take a couple percent from that. We have a network of screens across most metaverses, I think 140 screens now, that we can sell to advertisers. When you have a billion people, a billion eyeballs in front of those screens, that real estate is going to be valuable. And our tech powers that. So we've been putting the foundations to power that future business model. At the moment, it's probably about 30% of our revenue. Most of it is upfront built. And the reason we're doing upfront bills now is because this is the biggest opportunity to capture revenue today. But long term, the revenue is going to transition towards, you know, monetization and others. Um, so yeah, that's uh, as you identify. That's basically the the trajectory that we are forecasting for for revenue. And so, what's the total size of the company today? Because how old is the company, and how many employees do you have? Uh, it's uh, about five years. Uh, 2018 is when we really started to 
to to grow we raised a seed round on, in december 2018 so let's count that as the first uh you know first real start of the company um in total now it's about 150 100 yeah 155 so you include all the builders right that are deployed on different projects and then we have about 30 40 people now that are more like internal so they build the tech they build the product there's a small marketing function and then obviously sales and and delivery that's that's a very big team to build so quickly in such a young space i mean kudos kudos to you for being able to do that and you know and hopefully keeping people on board because i'm sure there's always a there's a there's a huge demand for talent so there must be a lot of poaching going on especially in your space um, you know moving away from that for one moment can you tell us about what's the biggest project you've done and what's the smallest project you've done and how those approaches for building those from a productization or service or revenue point of view has been for you in your approach for those two projects yeah um the smallest project i mean we we've built projects for um nft collections that wanted to get in the metaverse for example for you know maybe twenty thousand dollars or something like that which was a, a simple plot in the sandbox um with a simple activation takes takes maybe a a month to build or even a couple of weeks to build so that's on one extreme um and then you know a bigger one would be one of the ongoing project now that um is for a local government let's let's put it at that and that's you know that's going to be a multi-year project obviously we're not building everything at the same time but we're building you know um I guess building by building or department by department using our own technology to deploy that content on the web you know with the government the data needs to be stored locally so there's a whole infrastructure play as well uh so that's you know those are the big projects uh that are multi-year and uh and you know well into seven figures i can i can imagine when you engage in projects and people approach you with their own templates it's much easier for you to build those to specification as opposed to you guiding someone through a project when you look at a retail project like a shopping mall or an experience it's 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 very obvious about how you monetize that from a delivery mm -hmm. point of view or transaction point of view but when someone's building a government or a building for government services what's the hope there is the idea to allow people who are not physically able to navigate those spaces to do it or is it simply a showcase of what the best processes look like for them what's the yeah. objective for people who want to build these things because i'm very curious are these marketing budgets or are these business budgets yeah no it's a great amazing question um and it's a mix to be honest and you know you said at the beginning of that uh question that it's easier if we have specs we very rarely have specs to be honest most of the time you know you if someone uh, pretty high up in the company uh, that knows that the metaverse is the next place where they need to be they need to make sure their business stays relevant for the new generation but they're not quite sure what to do and even if you have a shop you know the first thing that people have in mind is that skeuomorphic approach which is basically replicating the real world but in the metaverse so let's let's walk through a mall and grab products and it's like well I think we can do better than that because you know the goal is not to do exactly what you can do in the real world otherwise just do it in the real world we have to leverage the fact that this is digital there's no gravity there is no sense of you know transportation you can just jump from a to b 
So this is where our expertise comes in to make sure that we don't just replicate a mall or just replicate, you know, a city just building by building, but we actually create something fun, engaging that people will spend time on because people are busy and to ask people to spend time into a, a digital world, it needs to be more appealing to them than anything else that they could do at that time, which includes funny videos on TikTok and, you know, Instagram and all this stuff. So that's the utility that we're trying to bring. Um, and yeah, to answer the second part, um, exactly as you said, there's basically two, two kind of utility. One is um, marketing and showcasing. So it's more about showing nice graphics and, you know, fly through um, above the Burj Khalifa and, and seeing the new hotel and being able to get into the best suite and seeing how things are to give you a, a, a taste of what this could be and prompt you to visit that place for real. So showcasing digital tourism, as we call it. And the other one is more utility. So, you know, how to improve procurement through the metaverse, for example, or how to make it a better shopping experience. And those ones are obviously more difficult. Um, and so that requires a lot of, you know, brainstorming and, and user testing to make sure that whatever we create actually generates real value, not just a gimmick. And I think the, the last question for me is, is on the consumption side, right? From a product and service you're building for a client who is wanting people to consume. And today you have headsets, which are expensive. They're not out there. They're not frequently used in abundance as much as say a phone is. You have yep. people with smartphones that's extremely well used. And of course we have computers. Right. And I imagine you're catering for almost all these formats. But really, at what stage is the consumption the most? Is it on mobile? Is it on computers? Or is it through these VR or AR you know, type of formats? Where do you see the largest consumption? Where do you see it moving to in terms of people that are interacting, getting the most experience out of this? metaverse because today i can do a 3d model fly through but if i'm doing it in the way that you're doing it from an interactive experience there has to be some sort of engagement yes. where is the highest today and where is it going to move to what's your opinion or visibility on that spike yeah so we actually developed um a, the technology to be able to stream really high fidelity content on the browser on every device including mobile and since then you know we've seen huge adoption from on, on the mobile device. I mean, over 75% of users generally. And that makes sense because they have access to it. They receive a link, they click the link, they play, you know, they could be in a transport, um, consuming a quick experience somewhere is not something you're gonna sit in front of your, of your laptop to, be, to do. So if you can do it on the fly, this is how you're gonna capture most people's attention. So mobile is definitely where it's at. And I think really the first ones to crack a good metaverse mobile experience will win the race because that's just where people's attention is. And I think this is gonna remain like that for a long time to come. Um, even though, you know, VR, AR, those are cool technologies, but I think they're gonna remain, um, I guess, niche and something that you would do if you want the best experience. It's kind of like going to the cinema. You know, you only do that for the best movies, the movies that you really want to see, but you're not doing it every day. And I think it's going to be the same if you want the best metaverse experience because you really want to go into this, this shopping mall or do this ski experience, whatever, then you might put the device on 
and spend some quality time in front of it. But for most interactions, which is just, oh, my friend sent me this, I'm going to go check it out. And it's, you know, five minutes later, you're out, then you need a mobile for that. So this is why we, we really believe in, in mobile metaverse. Sam, thanks so much on my part. I'm very keen to see what you do next and where you're building and get some access to these projects so we can go zooming through this, whether it's on my phone or my on my Oculus headset and the rest of it on my Quest. And uh, with that, I'll see you soon and I'll hand back to Ronit. Ronit, thank you. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Sam, maybe just to wrap up, let's talk a little bit more about use cases. Um, you said it's a busy world. Um, we've got lots of things to do, whether we're working or otherwise distracted. Um, how do we capture eyeballs, mindshare? What are going to be like the killer apps, so to speak, to misuse a, a terminology from the last generation of the internet? What's the killer apps? Well, if you look backwards, um, to me, the killer app of the metaverse is gaming. Because gaming, again, is kind of the, was the first use case for gaming technologies. Obviously, they were built for it. But now you can use Unity, you can use Unreal to create environments that go beyond gaming. So, mm -hmm. you know, if we, if we go to 2050 and we look back, we would say, oh, gaming was really the first metaverse. It was this metaverse where you could only play games. And now you can meet friends, you can shop, you can see this, you can do that. So to me, this is the use case. And, you know, that's the beauty of it because the metaverse does not require a new customer behavior. There's 3 billion people that play games every day and they spend about $200 billion a year in virtual goods and items within games. So the behavior of spending time in a digital environment, moving an avatar, buying virtual things, that already exists. It's already there. The use case is there. And if the content is engaging enough, if mm -hmm. um, you know the core loop is well done, then people spend hours and hours playing games. So this is how we need to build the metaverse. It needs to be a fun, engaging experience with the reason to go there, not just the shop front, because people are not excited by that. They're not excited about the metaverse being a giant mall, um, <laughs> maybe here, in, in, maybe in Dubai, but um, you know- Sam is backtracking quickly as you realize how many sales is just blown. We'll edit this out, Sam, don't worry. You've given away all your client list, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Majid <Madina> Al-Kutel. <laughs> <laughs> um no but yeah but i think i think to me that's that's why i'm super bullish still you know the fundamentals of virtual world do people want to spend time in virtual world yes gaming has proven that they do and especially the younger generation that has been born playing games and not watching tv you know to me this is a no-brainer that yeah. a three-dimensional environment is an interface that they understand um switching gears to thinking about a kind of topic Gaurav mentioned about his product. So a lot of people have been kind of poo-pooing the metaverse in the last six, 12 months and saying, no one's going to sit around wearing a 3D headset, a VR headset. It's just too antisocial, too clunky, too this, 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 that, that. So we started this conversation by defining the metaverse, but almost like let's finish the conversation by saying, for you, how do you like it's an immersive experience? Yes, but what are going to be the main kind of interfaces or devices via which you, me, and others will access the metaverse? Are we all going to be 
strapping on 3D VR headsets? Is that is that the future or what what is yeah, what's the internet? No, it's not the future. No, I think uh, it's what I was saying earlier. To me, you know, if the metaverse is like the internet, the internet you can consume it on your phone, on your mm. desktop, even on your TV. So it's device yeah. agnostic, right? The device is just a window to that to that content. And the metaverse is gonna be the same. I think most use cases in the metaverse are gonna be through our mobile. It's gonna look like a game where you can move something, but you have a 3D experience. So instead of browsing pictures of the, you know, uh, Louis Vuitton shoes that you wanna buy, you will be able to put them onto your avatar and snap selfies in 3D and, and uh, see exactly how it looks before you can actually buy them. A better experience. Mm. So that's to me, you know, 90% of the time will be spent on mobile. There will be a better experience on desktop. If you have more time, if you want to get more immersed, um, you can do that in a bigger screen. And then the ultimate experience will be VR because you feel like you are in the content. But again, this is not something that people will be doing at all times. This is, this is the going to the movies equivalent. It's something right. that is almost like an event in itself. You know, you're planning it. Okay, tonight I'm going to spend one hour doing this because this experience is, I just want the best to experience it in the best possible way. Hmm. So to me, that's, that's it. You know, the metaverse is not meant to change our behavior. It's not meant to force us to use other devices. It's just an evolution of content. And the fact that we can leverage better technologies, immersive technologies to be able to tell better stories and, um, and drive, you know, a business outcome eventually. So to summarize, it's a, it's a 3D immersive internet that we access through multiple devices and gaming is for you the kind of killer use case. Last word from you, if the audience has to think about, if they listen to this in six months or nine months or 12 months time, sometime between now and say 12 months, six or 12 months, what are the two or three things that you think have happened to propel the growth of the metaverse? Obviously you're all in, this is, you know, this is where your business is focused, uh, but what do you think is gonna happen in the next six to 12 months, if anything, that's gonna make us, you know, in Dubai, everyone's like still interested at a policy level, at a government level, but yeah. there's a lot of skepticism outside. Um, what's gonna happen? What are the catalysts that this is not just a mirage? Yeah, I mean, obviously being, you know, building that uh, transition, uh, we, we've seen, we've ridden the, the height of the metaverse and now the, the lows when it comes to perception, we mm. are, you know, building solutions to, to get out of that. And um, the best thing that I can think of is, is easier accessibility. Um, right now, most platforms, they're still quite, you know, hard to access. You sometimes yeah. need to create a wallet. There's a very, kind of crypto bro element, you need to buy land, you need to trade yeah. the token, lots of barriers to entry. So the first thing, at least let's let's reduce that complexity and make it accessible on, on every device through a link. So that's one of the things that we're building. So I think, you know, in, uh, in maybe not three months, but let's say in a year, we'll look back and wonder why this is not how it started. Why was it so complicated? You know, that's, that's gonna be the main thing. And I think that, that is make it easier to share and to consume will undeniably make it, you know, accessible to more people. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing I think is use cases from yeah. big brands or companies that actually found a, a real way to drive tangible business through the metaverse. 
So easy to access platforms, so like web two and a half, web two type platforms. And then the use case in your view is like, it's basically sort of souped up, hyped up gaming is what's gonna drive this. I mean, I think gaming is what's working now. If you look at how much time people spend playing yeah. games, it's clear that this is there's a real product market fit there. What yeah. I'm saying is now we can use those technologies to do other things. Um, I do think that digital tourism, being able to browse, whether it's a building, a villa in Bali, or you know a flight through yeah. of uh, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, while you can't be there, this is something that is appealing. Uh, and then you can connect, you know, travel use cases to this to book mm. a ticket or whatever. I think this is we're seeing a lot of traction on this side on the real estate as well, digital mm. twins of buildings for marketing purposes or sales. Um, those are two things that I think makes make a lot of sense. And then the last one is digital events. Um, creating a, a digital version of events like uh, you know a film festival or a music festival mm. um, to give it give access to billions of people who cannot go to the real event not mm. that it replaces it but it's the second best yeah. thing that's the thing yeah Sam thank you so much for joining us today it's been a real pleasure on behalf of Gara of myself and CFT to have hosted you um, and look forward to thanks for having me we'll keep you posted do another episode in a year's time you bet. Anytime you want. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thanks for having me.